Good morning. Oh 
Sing, I 
Song, Jesus. 
you this morning in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Turn and greet somebody and we will have church here. We'll continue to have church. Look at those guys. There we go. Welcome back. Hey, we're in Titus chapter 3 today. We're going to wrap up Titus chapter 3. I've been in it for the last number of weeks. A little break when uh, Jeremy spoke for a couple weeks in a row and uh, a little break from last week. But uh, we are back in Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. We've titled the message, All Who Trust in God Should Do What Is Good. 
All who trust in God should do what is good. We're going to be picking it up in verse 2. And uh, Ron, Ron covered Titus 3.1. And so if you missed that message, uh, you can look online at agharvest.org and you will find the message there. Uh, so we'll be in Titus chapter 3, verses 2 and following. So I'm getting ready to leave this morning, and Jolene's got this sweater. Jolene's my wife, and she's got this sweatshirt on. It says, Choose Happy. And it just totally brightened my day because she's been going through um, recovery from her surgery. She had surgery about 10 days ago, and, uh, and now they, they think she might have a torn diaphragm, so she might have to go back in for that. And so she's kind of been through a lot of pain, and, uh, and uh, yet she's choosing to be optimistic and choosing to be happy and just choosing to trust the Lord. And I thought, that's really what we probably all need to be doing in our lives, choosing to do the right thing when it's especially difficult to choose the right thing. I've had to do that because, um, I don't know if you've noticed, but God has not given me the gift of compassion and empathy. Um, might be surprising to some, not so much to others. And so it's been my job to, with compassion and empathy, take care of my wife for these last 10 days and probably for the foreseeable future for the next six weeks or so, um, depending on what's going on with her. Um, but because of my love for her, my desire to serve her, God's given me the, you know, I've, I've been asking the Lord, Lord, would you give me the grace just to do this every day? Would you give me the grace to get up? And take care of her and just serve her in her time of need. And so the Lord has been doing that. And I thought this is how really we are meant to live the Christian life. Just completely dependent on the Lord. Depending on him to fill us with the desire to do the things that he's called us to do. We've all been called for purpose. And part of that purpose is doing good. Paul writes to Titus here in Titus chapter 3. And he explains that the people of God must learn to do Good, And then he impacts some things, some areas in which we need to learn to do good. And so we're going to be unpacking that together. And I, as you'll be challenged as I was challenged in prepping the message and thinking about the, 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 the words that were written there. Now, remember the context. So this letter is written to Titus, who is the spiritual overseer of the pastor of a bunch of house churches on the island of Crete. Crete is in, it's a uh, Grecian island, and it's, it's very corrupt. Um, it's, it's a very dark culture. And um, in fact, in Titus 1.12, it says, Everyone, uh, even one of their own men, so even one of their own men, a prophet from Crete has said about them, the people of Crete are all liars, cruel animals, and lazy gluttons. <laughs> so that kind of gives us the backdrop um, maybe we can look at our own culture and say, man, we're dealing with a lot of the same type of stuff. Um, the people of Crete are all liars, cruel animals, and lazy gluttons. And so God, by his mercy, rescues people out of a culture with the desire to save them, adopt them into his family, but then also to transform their lives so that they can be salt in light, salt and light in their culture. And so God has done the same thing with us. He is He's rescued us, he has saved us, he has adopted us into his family, and then he has challenged us to be salt and light in our culture. And so that means that we must live differently than those in the culture around us. We have this responsibility, but not just this responsibility, but we've got the power of God that enables us to live differently by his grace and because of his strength. He actually empowers us to do what we cannot do 
in our own strength. He empowers us to want to do what we don't even want to do in our own strength. But he challenges us with truth so that we might examine our own lives and say, yeah, God, you're right. I, I need to live this way. I need to stop living this way. I need to think differently about my purpose in life, why I'm here, why I've got a pulse. What's your purpose for me? Well, Paul helps us to understand our purpose, especially in light of a pretty dark culture, a pretty rough culture. Paul is instructing Titus to bring order to these congregations of believers all over the island. So to kind of recap the first three chapters, uh, Titus was to appoint elders, and the elders were supposed to help with instruction and governance over the local church. He was to confront false teachers. In order to to confront false teachers, you actually have to know theology, you have to know the Bible, you have to know truth so that you can discern truth from error. So part of Titus's job was to confront the false teachers, equipping the saints, the church of the living God, to be able to do the same thing. He was to promote right conduct in the household of God. In other words, how are we supposed to relate one to another within the household of God? Titus was to bring correction when needed. And finally, Titus was to instruct people how to live in society. And so that's kind of what we've been talking about. How do we live out our faith in society in general? What, what is our life supposed to look like? What, what is the order of the, uh, from the Lord that he would have us to follow as we follow him? Titus 3.2, it says, they, the believers, must not slander. In the Greek, it's the same word that we get our word blaspheme from. Um, I, I never really thought about blaspheming another person, but it literally means to rail on and to um, be critical of a person. And so it's clear that Paul is challenging something that he is most likely seeing within the church, something of the culture that is bleeding into the congregation of the saints, something from the culture that is impacting and, and bringing darkness on the name of Christ and the church. And so he's challenging the people, the believers, they must not slander. So I think in the flesh, we naturally slander. When, when we've been hurt, we lash out with slander. Um, when we've been disappointed, we lash out with slander. When things don't go our way, we lash out with slander. We tend to use slander in, uh, as a way of kind of expressing anger and expressing disappointment and expressing frustration. But Paul's telling Titus, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, believers must not slander. That means we've got to exercise self-control in the way that we speak, in the way that we use our tongue. The Bible in James talks about the power of the tongue. It's got power to do great things and power to do great evil. And it all depends on how we use our tongue. They, the believers, must not slander. They must not blaspheme one another. Anyone uh, must not blaspheme or slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. We must avoid quarreling. Now, I'll be honest with you. I almost got into a quarrel with my neighbor recently. Um, it was close call, but I exercised some self-control. So my neighbor comes over, and he's drunk, and he's 
mad at me about something, and um, I'm not home. I'm at my neighbor's, I'm at my other neighbor's house, and uh, he gets into my truck, and he's drunk, and he's laying on the horn until I come out to talk with him. And um, Jolene said, hey, you need to get out of Steve's truck because he's not going to be happy if, you, if he comes home and you're in his truck. I'm not getting out of here until he comes over. So anyway, so I come over, and um, after kind of gaining my composure because I heard what was going on, I, I had to make a decision. Am I going to physically remove him from my truck, or am I just going to take a higher, higher road here and choose to be gentle and handle it, hopefully, the way that God would handle it? And so um, the, the verse goes on here. It says, um, instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. So did my neighbor, de- de- did he deserve gentleness and humility? No, he didn't. Um, he deserved to be physically removed from my truck. <laughs> um, but because of God's grace, um, I was able to show true humility and gentleness with him. Number one in our notes, as we talk about this this topic of right living, all who trust in God should do what is good. Number one, we must exercise self-control. We've got to exercise Self-control, and really the best way to exercise self-control is to allow our lives to be filled and directed by the Holy Spirit. We're not meant, actually, to live life as believers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as I shared last week that I had a hard time connecting with the Heavenly Father because of my dysfunctional earthly father, sometimes we have a hard time connecting with the Holy Spirit in all of his, in all of his mystery and, and, uh, and just maybe with bad experiences in the past. But we are literally not meant to live life as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ without the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And so if you're reading the scripture and wondering why you don't have the grace and the power and the ability and the self-control to do what God is asking you to do, it may be that you're lacking the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so we're told in scripture to over and over again be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God gives us the grace to be humble and to show gentleness with people. The Holy Spirit gives us clarity when we're in a difficult conversation. The Holy Spirit gives us counsel when we need counsel from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our helper. He's our, um, he's the presence of the living God within us, so he's always with us, always there to help us and direct us. And yet we go through life often not counseling with the Holy Spirit, especially when we need it. We, we need to get in the habit of calling on God um, in the good times and in the hard times. If we call on God, if we choose and learn to call on God, the Holy Spirit, in times that are good, we will naturally and, most, and more naturally call on him when things get hard. We're told in Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 that we're to get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander as well as all types of evil behavior. We can't do any of that stuff in our natural man. Our natural human response is all of those things. It's rage and anger and harsh words. It's slander. All of these things come out of us when we're not filled with the presence of the living God. But when we are filled with the presence of the living God, when pressed, the glory and the beauty of what God has done within us will begin to come out and we're able to 
show gentleness and true humility to people who do not deserve it. Verse 32 in Ephesians 4 says, Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And so <clears throat> we need to live in relationship with others, expressing to them, loving them the way that God, by his great grace and mercy, has related to us. He has continually, faithfully, forever and ever, forgiven us and has served us and has taken care of us. And he's given us the grace and the power to do the same with others. Instead, be kind to each other tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. When, you. when we begin to do that, much like I shared about my father and my relationship with my father and just the ability to forgive him, all of those things that I wrote down and shared with you last week, it was like the Holy Spirit just did a scrub, a work in my soul to cleanse me of all of this stuff that was, that was there and had been there for decades. It was, it was a work of the Holy Spirit that I have not been able to accomplish in my own strength. So exercising self-control can only be done as we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. And one of the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And so if you're struggling today to implement the things that we read in the Scripture and talk about on Sunday morning and the things that we discuss in Bible study, it's because it, you're, you may be lacking the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to invite the Holy Spirit into your circumstance in life. It requires humility. Uh, it requires an emptying of yourself. It, it, it requires the decision that says, you know what, I cannot do this in my own strength. I don't want to try to do this in my, in my own strength. It's foolish for me to try and do this in my own strength. So Holy Spirit, give me the words, give me the grace, Give me the help that I need in each and every circumstance. And as a result, you will have the self-control and the strength that you need in each and every circumstance. So Paul makes a comparison. He says, once we too, verse 3, once we too were foolish and disobedient. Like, we did all of these things before we knew Christ. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. But he said, but, but, when God came. And that's the, 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 the big but that we want to use every time we're up against a difficult situation. We want to say, but, this is impossible, but God. This is beyond my scope, but God. I don't want to do this right thing, but God will give me the grace and the strength to do it. But when God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. So we've been saved by his mercy, not because of our good works. He recognized our desperate need before we could do anything about it, and he rescued us. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. So this is what we've been talking about. This new birth, meaning your old man has died, you've been born again, you have new life, new power, new focus, new ability in Christ because you've been adopted into his family. You've been given new life, birthed by the Holy Spirit, filled with the power of God to do the works and to live the way that he's called you to live. 
So number one, we must exercise self-control, but number two, we must remember who we are. I think sometimes we get saved and we go about our business as if nothing has changed. We, as if we haven't made the biggest decision in our whole life ever. We go about our business in our flesh, in our own strength, uh, with a human mind instead of a, spirit, a spirit-filled mind. And God's saying, listen, you have been born again. Remember who you are because in that transformation, in that new life experience, I've got new purpose and a new life and a new plan for your life. We must remember who we are. We are spirit-filled followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, unless we're not. Maybe you're here today and you don't feel like you're a spirit-filled follower of Christ. Maybe you're here today and you don't even know Christ. The reality is is that God will give you the grace to know him and to follow him. And he'll come into your life and save you and rescue you and adopt you into his family and give you a brand new purpose for your life. And then you will become a spirit-filled follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'll ask you this question. Are you a spirit-filled follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? If you're not, you simply do one of two things. Maybe you're a Christian here, but you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit. You haven't asked the Holy Spirit to come into your life. You haven't been dependent on the Holy Spirit. You haven't been waiting and, and, and resting in the Holy Spirit with your life, but you've been doing things in your own strength, with your own desires, with your own plans, with your own purpose. So maybe you just need to avail yourself to the Lord. And I would say do this all the time. Not just on Sundays, not just when you're going through a hard time, but get up every morning and say, God, I I just need you to fill me with your spirit. Maybe by lunchtime you're feeling like you're all empty again. You say, okay, Lord, it's lunchtime. (laughs) And I need you to fill me with your Holy Spirit because I want my life to reflect you. I want who I am to look like who you are. God, I pray that you would do a wonderful supernatural work in me. And so you just begin to avail yourself to the power of the Holy Spirit. It's become, um, it just becomes a, a normal part of your rhythm and routine as you pray and as you seek the Lord. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus and you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit because you've never been introduced to Jesus. Well, I'm introducing you to Jesus. He's the Savior of the world. He died for your sins. He loves you unconditionally. He wants to adopt you into his family. And so if you've never accepted the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, know that his grace is sufficient to cover all of your sins. Your sins are your mistakes, your failures, your shortcomings. The Bible calls them sin. He loves you. God loves you unconditionally. In spite of what you've done, he still loves you and he wants to adopt you into his family so that he can give you a new life, so that he can call you his son, so that he can call you his daughter, so that you can be, spend eternity in heaven with the Lord. That's God's plan. And if you would like to receive him, you just say, Lord, I, I need all of what Pastor Steve is saying. I need you to come into my life and I need you to forgive me of my sin. I need you to save me. I need you to adopt me into your family. And as you do that, the Holy Spirit fills your life and God rescues you and gives you new life and a new purpose in your life. It says in verse 6, he generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. So he's not withholding, God is not withholding the goodness that he has for us, but he generously pours it out upon us, generously gives it to us so that we might live the kind of life that he desires for us to live. Because of his grace, verse 7, He made us right 
in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Because of his goodness and because of what he has done, he's given us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. So you give your life to Jesus, the side of heaven. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. You're given new purpose. You know now why you're here in the earth. You know why you have a pulse and why you're still breathing. God has given you new purpose because you've been born again in him. And so now your life is all about serving Jesus and surrounded by Jesus and his plans and purposes. And so you're confident in your future because of what God has said. You're confident in your eternity because of what Jesus has, has done. And so now you just move forward day by day serving him. That's just what the Christian life is meant to be. Jesus with his disciples on the sea of the, the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He said, hey, come and follow me. Come and follow me. So leave what you're used to and come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So there's new purpose when God calls us, new priorities when God calls us, new direction when God calls us. Verse 8 says, this is a trustworthy saying and I want you to insist on these teachings so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. And so part of what God's plan for our life is, is that we would devote ourselves to doing good. What is the good that God would have us to do? We're to be salt and light in the earth. We're to do what God has called us to do in the scripture. We're to be humbly obedient in him with our time, talent, and our treasure. Everything that we have belongs to him. Everything, uh, every uh, resource that we have belongs to him. Our whole lives belong to him. We're to, vote, to devote ourselves to doing good. And he said, "Teach uh, these teachings are good and beneficial for everyone. Heard this story recently. It's an old story about a guy whose truck was breaking down and he was barely going to make it to the gas station uh, where he could get to the pay phones before cell phones and uh, maybe he didn't have a cell phone. And, but pay phones. Everybody know what a pay phone is? <laughs> Put your quarter in there. Yeah, dial. Okay. So he's, uh, I don't think they're even in existence anymore, are they? I haven't seen a pay phone for a while. So. Anyway, so this guy creeps into the into the uh, gas station. He he's um, gonna call a mechanic or a tow truck, and he realizes he sees this woman who's uh, really struggling. She had come out to the gas pumps and she had fallen, and so he rushed over to help her. And when getting there, he realizes that her she's got dark bags under her eyes. She'd been crying. She was just having a terrible day, and he looks, and her car is full of stuff, and she's got a few kids in there, and they they look desperate as well. And uh, so he begins to just listen to her, her story. What, what's going on? And she was trying to get from wherever she was to California because uh, she was in dire straits with her family and she was going to be moving back in with her folks. And anyway, so he hears her story and he decides, hey, I'm here for purpose. So I'm going to fill up her gas tank. I'm going to get some food for her and for her kids. I'm going to pray for her and uh, just bless her as she makes her way out to California, wherever from wherever she, she was. So he got so busy serving this woman and her family that he forgot all about his own needs. He forgot all about his truck. And so he's like, oh, yeah, I got to call somebody. So anyway, he tries to get back. He gets back to his truck and tries to start the truck. And the truck starts right up and didn't have any problems after that. And um, he just realized, hey, God directed me to this place so that I might minister to this woman and to her kids in need. I think sometimes God allows things to happen in our lives to position us so that we might minister more effectively. 
he puts us in places so that we would be strategically where somebody might need us, so that we might pray for them, so we might encourage them, so that we might be a blessing in their lives. Learning to do good with everyone because it benefits everyone. Sometimes we get distracted, though, and in verse 9 it kind of talks about distractions, and it says, do not get involved in foolish discussions about spiritual pedigrees, like this comparison thing, like, hey, look at me, this is where I'm from, this is my background, this is my family, and we kind of get into this comparison thing. Um, Do not get involved in foolish discussions about spiritual pedigrees or in quarrels and fights about obedience to Jewish laws. These things are useless and a waste of time. Sometimes we think, oh, I'm doing so well, and you know, we get kind of puffed up that we're learning to obey the law, we're doing the stuff that God has called us to do, and we get puffed up, and we get comparing, we begin to compare ourselves, and we begin to see problems within the body of Christ. So number one, we must exercise self-control. Number two, we must remember who we are. And number three, we must be united in Christ. Remember, he's speaking to people who he's rescued, not for the righteousness of their own, but because of his good plan and purpose for them. He's rescued them out of this culture because he wants to give them eternal life, because he wants to change their life. But sometimes when we get rescued, we forget that we've been rescued because of no value of our, of our own because of no good works of our own, but, but because of God's grace. And we get caught up in this religious kind of comparison game where we begin to compare uh, our lives with somebody else. And it's just a, a, a bogus game because you're always going to feel better about yourself or worse about yourself depending on where you end up in that comparison game. We must be united in Christ, helping each other do what is good. Verse 10 says, if people are causing divisions among you, Give a first and a second warning. After that, I have nothing more to do with them. Interesting. For people like that have turned away from the truth, and their own sins condemn them. So Paul's final remarks and greetings here in verse 12. He says, I'm planning to send either Artemis or Tychicus to you. As soon as one of them arrives, do your best to meet me at night. Nicopolis, for I have decided to stay there for the winter. Do everything you can to help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos with their trip. See that they are given everything they need. Why? Because verse 14, our people must learn to do good by meeting the urgent needs of others. Then they will not be unproductive. So God's given us a responsibility to meet the urgent needs of others so that we will not be unproductive. Number four, we must be productive. This is part of what God has called us to in the earth. We must be productive as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will all stand before the Lord and give an account for our lives. The things that we do for the kingdom are like precious metals that endure the fire, the testing of fire that purifies uh, and burns up everything that's impure in our lives. And so imagine, imagine your life is in a fire, and the only thing that's going to survive is the things that you've done for the kingdom, the ways that you prayed for somebody, served somebody, given of yourself for the kingdom work, served the Lord sacrificially and faithfully when you didn't have the grace to do it in your own strength. All of the things that you've done for Jesus will survive the burning, but everything that you've done selfishly and for this world will be burned up. I wonder if we examine our lives in that light, what will be left? What, will, will anything be left 
in our lives or will everything have burned up? We will each be judged according to the works that we've accomplished, not judged for salvation because we know we're saved by grace through faith. It has nothing to do with ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But the life that we lead after we come to faith in Christ will be judged. Did we live our lives for God's kingdom purposes or not? And we will be given rewards or not based on that. We must actually be productive. Now, the Apostle Paul was in prison when he wrote most of his letters, the prison epistles. And he could have said, hey, I'm in a bad circumstance, bad situation. I'm just going to sit back and let God work on getting me out of here. In the meantime, I don't have anything to do. Um, But instead, he said, no, I've got stuff to do while I'm here in um, lockdown. And so I'm going to be productive with my time encouraging the body of Christ. Maybe you feel locked down during COVID and you feel like you're off the hook, that you don't have anything productive to do during this time. That is not the truth. You can be calling people and encouraging people. You can be praying for people. You can be uh, in some way, in whatever way God leads you, you can be salt and light in the earth. But we are called to productivity as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. God has given us spiritual gifts to be used within the kingdom of God so that we might be partnering with God, cooperating with God, doing the supernatural things that he wants to do in the earth. So what has God called you to do? Uh, How has he equipped you to do the work that he's called you to, and what are you doing about it? Um, Recently, going through the journey group, which is, um, I I talked about journey last week. Um, In this uh, last session, we talked about our spiritual gifts, and so we all took a spiritual gift assessment. So a spiritual gift assessment is like 100 questions or so that you answer that help you kind of dial in your spiritual gift. And um, so we all got a chance to figure out what our spiritual gifts are so that we can figure out where we might be employed within the kingdom to do the stuff that God has called us to do. So one of my spiritual gifts is giving. I, God's given me the grace to believe and give uh, in the kingdom work that he's called me to give to. Um, he's given me faith. Um, this is often why we take, take on these big, huge projects um, just by faith, believing that God is going to see us through. And, and so far, so good. We, God has always seen us through every project. We sent out the letter uh, this week about 102, which is our new worship center. And what's happening now is what has happened with every big venture that we've ever tried to accomplish, we're up against this testing time where we're, we're asking the Lord to provide and take care of the needs. And it's just a testing time where we're just seeing God provide day by day. But we need more people to give and to, to be a part of that. So if you'd like to be a part of that, then just give and be a part of it. I sent out a letter. If you didn't get a letter, I just said, hey, just pray. And if you'd like to give toward 102, then give. And we'll use that to finish up the project. We really only have about two months worth of work to do, but we've got We've got to raise about another $150,000. So if somebody's here and they got $150,000, they would just make it easy. Just write a check and we'll call it good. So one of my spiritual gifts is uh, faith. And so that God uses that to uh, challenge our church to step into supernatural things that God has for us. And he's given my elders the same gift of faith. And they believe that God is in it. And we move forward together. Um, What is my other spiritual gift? I have... What is it? Teaching. Teaching, maybe. I'm just trying to think of the one that was the top three. So faith, giving, and it may have been leadership or something like that. Yeah, maybe teaching. I don't know, whatever it was. But whatever it is, it helps to know those things 
so that we can dial in what we feel like we're called to do. So what is it that God has called you to do? You can, I think we still have on our website a spiritual gift assessment. Um, if not, we'll get that back up. Um, but you can go on that website, agharvest.org, and take a spiritual gift assessment and figure out what it is that God has called you to do so that you can be productive. God has productive work for each of us to accomplish, work within his kingdom, work that supports the kingdom, work that God has given us specifically to do. How many believe that God has given you specifically, not generally speaking, but specifically that God has given you a spiritual gift? How many know what their spiritual gift is? Good. Okay, so a lot of us know what our spiritual gift is. That's just the place to begin, right? To take a, a test and figure out what it is. Maybe you've got the gift of helps, where you just want to be behind the scenes, helping out wherever there's a need. Maybe you've got the spiritual gift of intercession, and you just want to pray for people, and you just have this desire, this longing to pray for people. Maybe you've got the spiritual gift of administration, where you just uh, know how to organize people and things and projects, and you can get things done. Maybe you've got the spiritual gift of leadership. Um, maybe you've got the spiritual gift of hospitality, and you just like to host people. What is it that God has gifted you and equipped you to do. That's all he's asking you to do is figure that out and then just use it. Use it in his strength and by his, his power and grace. Everybody here, verse 15, sends greetings. So this is Paul saying, hey, I'm not in this by myself. I'm not doing this by myself. I've got people around me with different spiritual gifts and they send greetings. And he said, please give my greetings to the believers all who love us. He's saying, hey, we're in this together as the body of Christ, so let's be united and let's be productive as we work together to accomplish the things that God has called us to do. And then he says, may God's grace be with you all. So number five, as we wrap it up today, we must learn to extend grace. Let's not misuse grace or misunderstand grace, misappropriate grace. Sometimes we say, well, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that, but God's grace is sufficient. Sins of omission, um, sins of commission, things we do what we don't want. We don't do what God has called us, and we don't do what we know what God has called us to do. And so we commit sins of commission and sins of omission, and we say God's grace is sufficient. And that's true, God's grace is sufficient, but that's not the proper use of grace. Grace is meant to cover us, to cleanse us, to wash over us so that we can do and work within the kingdom of God that he has called us to do. So sometimes we say, well, I'll never get over that sin in my life, but God's grace is sufficient. Um, Don't use God's grace as an excuse for your laziness, your sinfulness, your disobedience. And I'll say the same thing for me. I don't want to use God's grace as an excuse for my disobedience, laziness, and sinfulness. God's grace is such that he poured, poured out upon us his mercy and his kindness. When we were desperately in need, desperately broken, desperately needing his, his forgiveness, and he poured it out upon us when we called upon him, and he saved us by his great grace. So we need to appropriate grace properly and then extend grace to one another because we're all in difficult life situations. And so um, maybe you're going through a hard thing and you're struggling and somebody comes along and extends grace to you, uh, speaks life and hope to you. That is a proper use of a spiritual gift right there, a gift of encouragement, and a gift of grace extended so that the body of Christ can function together and help one another move forward. All who trust in God should do what is good. 
Let's invite the worship team up here. Number one, we must exercise self-control. We must remember who we are. Number three, we must be united in Christ. Number four, we must be productive. And number five, we must learn to extend grace. And so with that, let's go ahead and stand up. With that, Lord God, we just go to you in prayer. We desperately need you, Lord God. And we're calling out to you and praying that you'd fill us up with your spirit and give us the desire to do the things that are hard and difficult and seeming impossible to do, Lord. God, help us not to be afraid to be used by you and to be led by you and to be filled with you and to be directed by you, Lord. Help us just to long for that, to look for that, to hunger for that. Lord, as we are filled with you, God, that we would be ready vessels, obedient, ready to do good at whatever turn, wherever it is that you'd call us to do good. Lord, help us to be faithful and obedient. God, we love you, and we know that you'll give us the strength for all of these things because that's what you do. Bless us now, we pray as we worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. praise we could ever bring worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you Jesus the name above every other name Jesus the only one who could ever save
It's who I am. It's who I am.